0: All right, all right. Is it working now? Great, great, great. I have attention issues, which makes mic issues very difficult for me. So if it just keeps happening, I will just grab this. Otherwise, I won't be able to uh, pay attention. So that's great. All right, so uh, let me, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Book of Mark, Chapter 9. That's where uh, Stephen, uh, what he just read for us. And we'll be in that passage uh, about this little boy uh, being um, oppressed, possessed by, by a demon. And if you're here and you're like, well, number one, I don't believe in demons. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't know if I believe in Jesus or at least what you think Jesus to be. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, in fact, at one point, none of us believed these things, right? If we go back long enough in all of our history, uh, we were very much like Nora, Right, just kind of like hanging out in her parents' arms, not quite sure where we are, what's going on. Why is this guy wearing a mask, praying for me? Like, who knows, right? And so I'm so glad that you are here, and we're gonna get we're gonna get into all of this this morning. Let me pray again, and let me pray for for us individually because I, I think that I think that God wants to do some significant work in in our hearts today, and I think He wants to change something about you and me that maybe we don't even want changed about ourselves. We've become very comfortable with that thing. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are here. You're in the room. We're not, uh, we're not doing this thing about you. We're not having a seminar or conference about this religious subject of Jesus, but rather you are here, and we believe that you, you work mightily and that you speak to hearts, that you whisper, that you uh, change, that you shape, that you shift, that you, our lives really are in your hands. And so would you do whatever you want this morning? We, we ask that you would bring great change to all of our hearts and, and lives. I want to pray for those of us who come in here mocking you, that we don't even believe in you. Pray that you would change that. Pray for those of us who come in just very sleepy and tired um, and apathetic, maybe, and that you would awaken us with new affections. And I want to pray for those of us who are really excited and very expectant for you to do something that you would answer those expectations, but do exactly what you want. So we love you and need you for everything. Amen. All right, let me start with a question. I don't need an answer, don't want an answer, but I don't want you to just stare at me. You can look at me, but be thinking and processing this. What has changed you, okay, what has changed you that you can't seem to change back? What's changed you that you can't seem to change back? So let me give you a few illustrations. Uh, Lord of the Rings, okay, Return of the King, third movie. Uh, This week, Jess went to bed early and I wasn't tired, so I laid in her bed and and decided I was going to watch this three-hour movie. I made it 30 minutes through. But um, yeah, valiant effort, Dwight, way to go. But at the beginning of that movie, and if you haven't seen it uh, and you're an adult, it's kind of your own fault. Like, I'll just ruin it because I don't, I don't care at this point. Um, but it starts out with this guy named Smeagol, right? And Smeagol and his brother are fishing, and his brother catches this fish and finds a ring and comes up with this ring, and Smeagol looks at it, and what does he do to his brother? Kills him. Okay, two of you have seen this. <laughs> Great. So, kills him and takes the ring, and then we see this, I don't know, for about three or four minutes, the, what the ring actually does to Smeagol, and it destroys him absolutely destroys everything about his life. He went after that thing because he wanted it so badly, he was willing to kill to get it, and once he got it, he couldn't change back. He couldn't go back to before having this ring. Uh, My mom has a friend, and I won't go into lots of details because this is all live. Welcome to those of you watching at home as well. Um, But my mom has a friend, and uh, her friend has gone, um, I don't know if she's in debt, but she's paid Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to try and help her son break his drug addiction. And it's gotten so bad that she actually has to have a restraining order against him because he's tried to harm her to get things uh, from her. And, and there's no happy ending yet to that story, right? It's still in process. That probably the day that he tried that drug for the first time, he wasn't thinking, you know, I really want to harm my mom. But yet that's a trajectory, and he hasn't been able to change back yet, So we can hear those stories and be like, oh, one's a movie and one is a drug addict and that's not me. But if we're honest, it it is a little bit of us that we all are pursuing some sort of ring of power that will rule them all. We are pursuing some sort of drug that will give us the dopamine kick or the, the approval or the comfort or the power, whatever it is we're looking for. We all have something in our mind that if we were to get that thing, we would be satisfied and we would be good. Or maybe maybe it's a demon. Maybe it's a demon. And that's what we're going to see today. Maybe your thing is just being liked. Maybe you're like Michael Scott from The Office. I, I don't need to be liked. And then he goes on a long tyrant and just basically says, but I have to be liked. Right? And you pursue just everyone liking you. And you're a people pleaser. And that's your thing. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's that you're really driven And we applaud those things in Western culture, don't we? So often the things that are going to destroy us, we applaud from the side. Maybe it's a relationship that you're going after, and if you could just get that thing, that person, then you'd be satisfied. But you don't have them, and they keep saying no to you, and so you're loathing in a cave by yourself, flipping a ring. Hopefully not. Maybe money has you. Maybe it's your past that you've been abused in your past or you've abused and harmed people in your past and you live out of that narrative and you can't seem to get around it and it controls you. And maybe it really is a substance or maybe it's the lies that you're telling yourself or hearing or others are saying to you all the time. But what, what is your ring? What is your drug? What is your demon? You see, and what the enemy wants to do, and we believe that there's an enemy, and we'll we'll look at him in just a minute very briefly. But the enemy wants to focus your attention on that thing and say, this is stronger than God. This is such an insurmountable thing that, yes, you can show up on a Sunday, you can clap away, you can sing, you can play guitar, um, you can do all these things, but that little thing in your life is so powerful that you're never going to get past it. You're like Gollum, who forgot his own name, sitting in a cave all by yourself. It's too powerful. And we end up saying things like, well, that's just who I am. These are the cards that have been dealt me. This is just just who I am. I can't get past this. This thing is too insurmountable. Well, what we're going to see in this passage today is that Jesus met a significant inability, not a little one, but a significant inability, and he changes it. He changes it. And he's going to show us in this passage that he is able to overcome and change anything And so if he can do this work in this text, he can take your little thing that you're working through, which does seem really big and huge and insurmountable to you, and he can change it. So here's what I want you to do. And I know this is like make-believe type stuff, and so you don't really need to do this. But what I want you to do is take the thing that you can't change about yourself, right? Find it. I don't know where you keep it. Find it and put it on your lap this morning. Right? No longer is that thing going to be hidden. You're taking it out, and at least you and, and Jesus are going to know about this thing, and you're, you're just going to leave it on, on your lap, okay? We, we can all play this game. My wife is nodding yes, so I'm going to say that she's nodding for everyone, okay? Good, and what we're going to do is we're going to say, Jesus, would you please this morning change this thing about us? This thing that we don't actually even believe that you can change, would you change it today? So that's the type of transformation we're going after. Okay, so Mark chapter 9. Uh, two weeks ago, we were all together, big, big gathering upstairs. That was fun, wasn't it? That was a great time. I hear that mm-hmm, from my wife again. You're on it this morning, Jess. You're amazing. Um, so lots of fun. We, we looked at the passage where Jesus was transfigured. His glory was oozing out of him in front of three of his disciples. And now he's coming down off the mountain with them. And we find ourselves in Mark chapter 9. And I'm going to start in verse uh, 16. So Mark 9, 16. Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? What was happening is that his disciples were arguing with other religious leaders about something So he's trying to figure out what's going on. And then in verse 17, someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. So, I mean, the scene is that, the dad is looking for Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard that Jesus can heal people and cast out demons. That's part of what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And so Jesus isn't available. And so he's looking around, and he's like, well, I heard this is like a Jesus and associates thing. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're the associates for sure. So he's like, okay, disciple associates, would you please do something about my son? He's, he, it, it's seizure-like. I don't know if you've ever seen someone seizure out. I worked in group homes previously and worked with many people who have seizures. And the grandma seizures, when they're happening, there's nothing you can do, and it's one of the scariest things you'll ever see. And You can't touch it. You can't control it. All you can do is kind of make sure that person doesn't injure themselves as much as you possibly can. But it is a crazy thing. And so this is this family's life. Sometimes we just read through scripture and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's one about the demon-possessed boy that rolls around and foams at the mouth. It's like, hold on. Let's, Let's go into the text. What would this do to your family if this was happening to your brother? What would you be doing if this was happening to your childs wouldn't you be trying to get the help that could that could rid this boy from this disease and what we see here is actually this demon so jesus is unavailable but we what we see about the disciples the associates is that they were unable to do anything about it so we actually believe in demons come out and say that we believe in demons we believe that god created spiritual beings and there's a group of spiritual beings that decided that they were going to rebel against God. And so all throughout the Bible, we see about these demons. And it's not this like, they aren't, you can't think horror movie when you think demons, right? That that's not primarily how they, how they work, my experience and what we see biblically. It's not this big scary story thing. It's They just want to infiltrate your life and cause destruction however they possibly can. And it's not so that you make a horror movie. It's most likely by just lying to you. And so maybe you've been impacted significantly by demons, and you don't even know it. But maybe you just hear lies about who God is and what God's done and who you are all the time. It's probably not coming from you. What this demon did to this child was it tormented him. It caused the child to be in convulsions. It harmed and and was ruining this child's life. And the harm that was inflicted by this demon seemed to be an insurmountable thing. Isn't that really hard when you find out that this issue is so bad that there's nothing you can do about it? It's like, yeah, but I have money. It's like, yeah, but your money can't solve this cancer. Yeah, but I, I, I have resources. I, I know people. It's like, yeah, but it's just not going to help this boy. Just not going to work. It's really hard, especially as Westerners, to hear there's nothing you can do about this. And so we get into verse 19. Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, I just just think that's weird. Some of the things that Jesus said, I find to be strange. That's okay, right? I can tell Jesus I think that was strange, and he's okay with keeping it there. This is not a Dwight edited version of the Bible, right? But I think it's strange because it's like there's a real need in front of you, right? If someone is seizing out in this room, we're going to stop everything and we're going to care for that person, right? doesn't matter what we had planned this morning. That's going to take pre- preeminence. But Jesus does this little like, oh, faithless generation talk. And you're like, why, why would you do that, Jesus? But I think that's actually really crucial for this scenario, Because they're all focused on why the disciples can't do it and the religious leaders are giving their reasons for things. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm here. I never clap my hands like that. I don't know why I do it when I'm preaching. Hey, I'm here. Wake up. He wants to refocus everyone's attention on the object of confidence that can actually do something about this situation. It's like you guys, are, you guys are talking, you're like, well, Numbers says this, and like Deuteronomy says this, and 1 Samuel says this, and he's like, shut up. Look at me. All eyes on me. He wants for their confidence to be in him, not them. You see, and as if you're a follower of Jesus, it's so easy to start with a confidence in Jesus and then move on to rely on other things. In almost anything else, maybe some of you have taken some sort of evangelism class where you learn about how to speak to other people about Jesus and you learn about worldviews and how they intersect with with the Bible and blah, blah, blah. Like you learn all that and you finish that and you're like, I am equipped and ready to go talk to anyone about anything. And then you meet a real person and you're like, well, what about this question? Like, I don't know, but here's what I learned in my class, right? And so you depend on the class and the equipping, not that God wants to do something in that moment through you. Our confidence before was in Jesus, but because we got the theology degree, I have a master's of theology, and I could say to you, you have to listen to me this morning, and you should be changed because I have a master's degree in theology. That master's degree in theology is garbage if Jesus doesn't do any of the work. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And so many of us, we live in reliance on our our little equipping, our little class, our little knowledge, our experience, what we did before instead of being connected to him today. And so the disciples, we'll get into this at the end, but the disciples, I believe, were really banking on the authority that they had. In Mark 6, we're in Mark 9 today, Mark 6, they were casting out demons, they were healing people, but that was authority for then, not for today. And they had said, we've done this before, we know how this works, we know what to say, we know what to do, but it wasn't working, because they were trying to do it on their own power. You see, we slide away from believing in Jesus, and we believe in ourselves. That's one of the most garbage things that we can tell kids, just believe in yourself. Okay, now what? Where I struggled, okay, my undergrad degree is in social work. Where I struggled, I became a Christian during my social work. It was very awkward, very strange, becoming a Christian and showing up after Christmas vacation as a Christian social worker at that, at that moment. But I was trained to be a counselor that helped people get to a point where they were going to empower themselves. Right? That's the whole thing of, like, counseling in social work is that we want to help you empower yourself. But what if someone doesn't have power In fact, if you get deep enough, we find that we don't have the power that it's going to take to actually change ourselves. So as a Christian, it's like, I can bring you to the end of yourself, but then I'm just going to look awkwardly and we'll twiddle our thumbs until our session is done. Because I'm not supposed to suggest to you the power that you're actually looking for. We slide away from Jesus and we believe in ourselves. We believe in our degree. We believe in our techniques. We believe in our past. But Jesus is saying, you don't believe in me anymore. Yeah, 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 you signed the statement that said that you believe in me, but you don't believe that I'm sufficient for you today. You've let fear overrun you. You've, yet, you've let pride overcome you. You've let doubt sneak in. You've let your control issues and your obsessions become the forefront rather than looking at me. See, the greater enemy is not a demon. Demon. Jesus is going to cast out the demon with a word in a second. The greatest enemy is faithlessness, that we no longer look at Jesus as the one who can do it. We look at ourselves, or we go to the self-help section at Indigo, and we're looking for any other answer. But Jesus is saying, look at me. Look at me. Let's focus the attention on me. You see, Jesus always wants to refocus our attention on him. That's why we don't do sermons on three ways to use your money the best. Uh, I can't even think of dumb sermon titles like that, right? It's like, well, this week we're going to talk about Jesus. Like, yeah, yeah, but what about next week? It's like, pretty sure Jesus. It's like, yeah, but like, what about in the new year? We need something like really flashy. It's like, yeah, have you seen Jesus? Like he's flashy, right? We're not going to move past him because there's nothing to move past to. Right, it's all about him, and so Jesus says, "Hey, bring bring that boy to me, bring the impossible situation to me." In chapter nine, verse twenty-two, at the end, the man says, "And and imagine being this dad. Imagine seeing your son, child. Imagine that it's your brother or your someone that you see on a regular basis. You see them convulsing all the time." And here's, here's what he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, not even like heal him all the way, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's like the little spark. A little spark in a very dry forest does incredible damage and Jesus sees this little spark of faith comes. And do you know what he wants to do? He wants that man to blow on it. Malachi, where are you? When we make fires at home, one of Malachi's favorite jobs is to blow on the fire, right? I'm not the best fire maker. Like, I, I just pour more olive oil and more stuff you're probably not supposed to. Um, and it takes off. But Malachi's, like, faithful, and he just blows on that thing. And it comes into, it comes into flame. Jesus sees that little spark of faith and listen to what he says in verse 23. And I don't think this is a rebuke at all. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. So do you know what Jesus is saying? He's like, come on Malachi, blow. Like blow. Blow keep going. Like, let's look at me. Look at me. Look at my eyes, right? Keep blowing. Take that little spark of faith and let it grow into a fire. Let it take over you. Come on, ask me for something. Ask me for what I'm capable of doing. And so the man finally breaks in verse 24. And he says this, immediately the father of the child cried out. And that's really important, isn't it? The father's not having this like weird theoretical intellectual conversation like, Hmm, okay, I believe, help my unbelief. He's crying out, I believe, like, but help my unbelief. And Jesus is like, you did it. Like, you did it. That's gonna set this whole thing off now. It's just that little spark being blown into a flame. You see, he sees Jesus in a way that no one else was seeing Jesus in that moment. Even the ones who had participated with Jesus in casting out demons. He was seeing that Jesus can do this. His faith is locked on Jesus, not the outcome. Notice he doesn't say, all right, all right, all right. I'll believe in you if you can do this for my son. We like to test God in that way, don't we? All right, I'll have faith in you if you just get me an A in this class. right? I'll I'll have faith if you can just get my kids to go to sleep. I'll have faith if you can just give me that person to marry. right? We put out all these things. If you do these things, then I'll be faithful. And that doesn't work like that. It's that G, that guy says, I want you, Jesus. I want you. And the outcome, I'm completely okay with. What this man does is he doesn't just get his life to be a little bit better. He gets Jesus. His faith was locked on Jesus, the one who won't just exercise a demon for the time being, but would give this man an eternal life. It's not just about now. It's not just about not being hungry at the end of the day. It's being satisfied for all of eternity. Jesus says that we will never get to the the breadth or the depth of who he really is. For all of eternity, we're going to still be exploring who Jesus is. He is this eternal forest, in a sense, to be to be found out. It's quite astounding. And Jesus doesn't want to make your life just a little bit better. He doesn't want to be the icing on the cake of your degree or your family or your two and a half kids or your your house or your vacation home or your RRSP. He's not the icing on that. He says, if all that stuff is lost, you still have everything. Everything. But look what he does in verse twenty five. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus takes an impossible problem and makes it possible forever. He removes that demon from that boy forever. Never is that going to enter back into him again. He changes him forever in an instant do you believe this about your problem? That little problem that you've put on your lap this morning, your precious that you've held on to, and you can't imagine life without it, but you wish it was gone, but you just don't have the courage to actually do something about it. Do you think that Jesus could remove that thing from you this morning and it never come back again? Let me ask this question. Do you even want him to? Sometimes we love our, our precious so much that we have opportunity to be rid of it, but we're like, I just can't imagine life without it. That, that disease, that, that sickness, that resource, it, it has our heart. See, there was a rich young ruler that came up to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, tell me what to do to get eternal life. And Jesus said, listen, you know what to do. Like, just keep all the commands. And he said, ah, I've kept all the commands from my youth. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. Hey, there's just one thing. Go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come follow me. And Scripture says that the rich young man walked away sad that day. Because it was so deep for him that he couldn't imagine life without his his wealth. He couldn't imagine being identified as a Jesus follower who was poor. He wanted Jesus on top of the riches. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Either I'm going to be everything or I'm nothing. Jesus plus nothing, I don't know who said this, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right? He is what we're longing for. Do you want him to remove that thing? Or is that unbelief grown into your precious? You know, we serve a God who slays giants, those things that seem absolutely insurmountable. He takes out armies of like hundreds of thousands of people with something that's not even true, right? And I'm alluding to a story that you might have no idea, but it's, it's biblical. And it, there are all these stories in the Bible about God doing crazy things that just don't seem possible. And we read them in the morning with a cup of coffee maybe. We're like, hmm, that's neat. Mm, that's, that's really nice. I'll take a note on that. But we don't believe he can do that in our lives, We're okay with the information so that we can win some weird Bible trivia game that, by the way, no one's playing that in Montreal, just in case you want to know. Um, We do this to to win some silly game, show God all the Bible trivia that we have, but he says, no, I want you to believe me. I want you to refocus your eyes on me. I can do the impossible things. But here's the thing, when he does, when he does the, the impossible in your life, it might seem like he just killed you might very well feel like something just died in you. Listen to verse 26. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, the spirit came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. Can you imagine being the dad, looking at Jesus, being like, what did you do? What did you do? I brought him to you so that you can rid him, not not kill him. Not do this power play so that you could just show how much more powerful you are than the demon, but now my son's dead. What did you do? At least he was alive before. Have you experienced this, where Jesus comes in in a powerful way and it feels like a part of you just died? I remember becoming a follower of of Jesus and one of the things that Jesus made me do was go and apologize to certain people that I had hurt in significant ways and I remember, I, I just said no. I was laying in bed one night, and I heard that very clearly. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. This is dumb. And, uh, and he said, no, you are. And it was like this, um, it was like a deep tension inside of me. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And it was this wrestling that was going on. And I finally was like, okay, fine. Like, I'll do it but I don't know what's gonna happen. Like I've done some shady things to people and I don't know if I'm gonna get punched. Like I don't know what's gonna happen. And I would go to people and I would tell them, hey, I'm so sorry for doing this. Like, I didn't even know you did that. I'm like, yep, hey, I'm here to share some good news with you. And, um, but I remember having to tell people all the time, like, why are you telling me this? I'm like, oh, because Jesus made me. They're like, what do you mean Jesus made you? I'm like, yep, buckle up. Like, here's the whole story. And Jesus, Jesus used all these moments of humiliation, really, to get to tell people of what Jesus had done in my life. But it felt like death to me. There was a guy named Zacchaeus uh, who became a follower of Jesus, and he was very wealthy also. And when Zacchaeus became a follower of Jesus, uh, he said, I'm going to give away everything that I've taken from people Fourfold. Now, Zacchaeus' whole life was lived on extortion. He only extorted money from people. That means that Zacchaeus would have lost everything. And we teach this to little kids, and we're like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a tree and didn't fall out or something. I forget the rest. But it's like we teach that, and it's like, no, no, no. Like, the main point is not that he was a little man. The main point is that he was willing to lose everything because he saw how much worth Jesus was. That's what kids need to hear, right? Those are the songs that kids need to be singing. Not like, at least I'm not short like Zacchaeus, right? That's not what we need to be pushing. We need Jesus. We need him. Zacchaeus was willing to lose everything because he had Jesus. There was a man named Abraham in the Old Testament. So the Bible's broken up into two big big parts. We're in the New Testament right now. But Abraham waited 100 years for a son, okay? wild son was born, and then God says, hey, would you just take that kid and like march him up a mountain and kill him? Now, God really didn't want for Abraham to kill him. We find that out in scripture too. But he wanted to see, are you willing to obey me even when it doesn't make sense? Are you willing to walk up that mountain with the thing that is your precious? And are you willing to lay him down and saying, I have you, and if you're going to do something different, and we find out in Scripture that Abraham believed that even if he was to kill Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead, right? Abraham was fixed on Jesus. And look at what Jesus does in this, in this moment of disarray and feeling like, man, all my hope was just dashed. In verse 27, everyone's saying he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose, Jesus raises up this little boy. This is like a resurrection. I don't know if he was actually dead or or not, but all the language in here is speaking about resurrection. And this little boy who had a demon and was tormented was raised, and Jesus locked eyes with him. And I just imagine the compassion swelling, the tears swelling up in Jesus' eyes as this boy wakes up and he's the first one that he sees. He says, I I love you, and you're free. Go get something to eat and see your dad. Like what joy, what celebration came that night in the village? The father is obviously going to throw a massive party because the impossible thing has become possible. You see, Jesus changes in a moment what we can't change in a lifetime. You can keep trying and trying and trying and trying, and this new year, my resolution will be this, and I'm gonna nail it. And Jesus is like, would you please just give up? Would you let me change you? Would you give me those things that you don't even want people to know about, and let me change those things too? Because when I get those and when I change those, you think that you're gonna be like that little boy dead laying on the ground, but you're actually gonna experience more life than you've ever known before. These, these precious rings, these, these drugs, these demons, they, they keep us insular. They keep us hiding from one another and from God. And Jesus is saying, I want to free you from that. You don't need to hide anymore. You can be open. You can share with all that I have done for you. And the impossible becoming possible is most clearly seen in Jesus' death and resurrection, where he took all of your rebellion and my rebellion on himself on the cross, paid the penalty that you and I should have to pay for all time, rose from the dead, we believe in resurrection, rises from the dead, and then says, hey, any one of you rebels, come on to me, and I want to make you part of my family. Not come and pay me back, come and show me how worthy you are, but come to me, I'll forgive you, I'll bring you into my family, I'll put my spirit inside of you, I'll change you to be just like me, and I'm never, ever going to let you go. Only he can change you. Only he can make you new. And he replaces that precious ring that you didn't think you could live without with a crown. That you get to rule and reign with King Jesus forever in his never-ending kingdom. So how does this thing end? It's quite an amazing amazing scene. Then verse 28 and 29 is like the after party. When Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, "Why couldn't we cast the demon out?" And he said to them, "This kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. Only by prayer." He's saying, "Listen, guys. You trust too much in yourselves." You trust too much in your techniques. You trust too much in in your classes. I walk with you, Kanye West was right. I walk with you. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna comfort you. I'm gonna overcome things that you didn't think could be overcome. I'm gonna do this. Don't rely on your past success, your past confidence, your past authority. Rely on me today, ask me. Prayer is talking to God. Jesus is saying all you had to do is ask God to cast this demon out, and it would have been done. But your trust was, was misinformed. So let me refocus you on me. So the question for us is, are we connected to Jesus right now? Or are you living on the fumes of yesterday, or a month ago, or a year ago, or that retreat that you went on when you were like five? Right? Are you running on fumes? Or are you living out of someone else's spirituality? You need more discipleship than coming to hear a sermon on a Sunday, right? This is meant to be like fuel that takes you out, that sends you out into your normal, ordinary life, being reminded, yes, I need Jesus more than anything else. That's right. That's good. That's true. But are you connected to him? Don't copy and paste your relationship with Jesus. Don't try and live out someone else's relationship with him. He wants one with you. He wants one with us, yes, collectively, but with you individually, And he often wants to do things differently today than he did them yesterday. So we have city groups in our church. When my wife and I started Church 21 about 10 years ago, we started with a city group, a few people in our house, and we were just going to go neighborhood by neighborhood and see it grow and multiply that way. The problem right now is that we can't all be in the same house, can we? And so we're in this weird place that our city group had to meet by Zoom, right? We love and hate Zoom all at the same time, right? Uh, It's... uh, It's a complicated relationship with Zoom that we have. But we're on Zoom uh, together again this week talking about the new ways that we have to be Citigroup again. But do you know what? We're not gonna stop being the people of God because COVID or limitations. We're gonna figure it out because Jesus is alive today and he has a strategy for today. And we're gonna live out that strategy today and we're not gonna worry about tomorrow. We'll figure out tomorrow when tomorrow comes. And that's the way that Jesus rolls. He's like, I'm not gonna give you Hey, here's your, we went on a hiking trip, a few of us uh, last weekend. It was more than a hiking trip. Can't get into all that. But, um, and they just give us like this, this little packet of food, right? And you're like, is this, is this for now? Is this for the whole weekend? And they just kind of look at you and you're like, okay, you know, like, great. Jesus doesn't awkwardly like slide a week's worth of grace to you across the table. He's like, that should last you. It's a moment-by-moment moment thing. When you need more and when you need new power from him and you, when you need power to resist temptation, he's right there to give it to you. He's walking along with the pack. He's on the hike with you. And he's like, I have food in my bag. You're like, no, 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 you gave me this last year. I'm still eating the ramen out of it. It's really good. He's like, but I have, I have fine cuts of meat over here or veggie burgers or whatever you're into. Like, I've got that in my bag. You don't need to eat ramen anymore. Like, Feast here. But we love to live out of our bag, don't we? Is your faith in him and his work? Is your faith in him and his work? Do you trust him today? Do you trust him today? Or are you trusting him with your trust you had yesterday? You see, you're not capable of doing life on your own. We're not capable of doing life on our own. We need his spirit now. So let me me end with two challenges, all right? Two challenges. First one. Let what you can't change die today. Let what you can't change, let it die today. Put it out there in your hand to Jesus and say, Jesus, I took this thing out of my pocket, out of my heart, out of my, I don't know where you keep it, but it's in my hand and I'm not putting it back. And Jesus, by your strength, like this thing's gonna rot to death. And with the help of other people, In the church, in my city group, we're going to put this thing to death. And Jesus, I'm asking you today to remove it. Some of you have addictions that Jesus might want to heal today and just gone. You'll never deal with them again. Others of you have addictions, and he's not going to completely heal you today. It's going to be a process. And people are going to walk with you, and they're going to keep it out there, and you're going to watch it die together. But let what you can't change die today. Cry out in your heart, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe in you, but I haven't believed that you could take care of this part of me. Help my unbelief in this area. He might not take it yet, but let the power structure in your life be reoriented. That thing should not have power over you. That thing should not turn you into golem. That thing does not need to take your life. Take it out and say, you impotent, powerless thing. You have no control over me. Jesus, you died so that I don't have to give in to this thing anymore. Take it from me. I don't want it. And then tell someone else and let them fight alongside of you. And don't stop pestering God for this. You know, we have, my wife and I, we have four kids some of you have kids as well. One of the things you want to teach your kids not to do is pester. And unfortunately, in the kingdom of God, one of the things that God wants to teach us is that we're to pester him. So it's like, don't pester me about the snacks, but pester God about our neighbor's eternal life. It's like trying to, trying to restructure this well, because God is saying, no, come bang on my door all the time. Like, when are you going to do this? We're praying for revival in our city. It's like, hey, Lord, I can't sleep. Uh, revival, when are you going to do that? Right? When are you going to bring many people to come and know you? Don't stop pestering him. It's his eyes are full of compassion for you. And if he never takes that thing away fully, it doesn't mean that he loves you any less. He's full of compassion towards you. He's not going to break you. So let what you can't change die today. Second thing, don't live out of your strength anymore. Don't live out of your strength anymore. The mirrors and the degrees and the accomplishments are lying to you. They cannot provide you what you need. Only Jesus can. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Oh, what was the main point today? Oh, the guy said, like, only Jesus can. I don't know. But that's profound. That's profound. Because it's true, it's really true. We have to get over ourselves and get out of the way of ourselves so that he can do this work. And there's real power available for you right now. Right now. You see, God invites you to enjoy him. He wants to renew you, and he wants you to receive his power. And then do you know what he does? He releases you to go and care for a city who thinks it's impossible that Jesus even exists. And as they look at their problems, they say, this is my impossible category that will never be solved, but here's the trajectory of my life. And that we can actually walk with them and work with them to get to see that Jesus can overcome all these things as well. And we've seen it happen. Lots and lots of people have become followers of Jesus over the past 10 years. We've gotten to baptize a lot of people over the past 10 years who once were not followers of Jesus and who have turned to him. You are experiencing his power. But are we expectant for this? Are we expectant for this? Uh, let me end with, with this. Um, I, there's a pastor, uh, this little pastoral group where we get together once a month and we talk about stuff. And this guy from the West Island said, hey, I, I've been praying for uh, divine appointments. You know, and divine appointments is... It sounds very strange. No one probably talks like that. So it's like, I, I'm praying for God to line up meetings with people who are looking for him. And so he was just sharing all these stories of, I've been praying for this over the past couple of weeks and every single day God has been doing this. I'm like, oh, that's a neat idea. That's something maybe I should probably do. So I, I prayed for that. And then I was taking down, um, I was taking down my tent from this Uh, I had to let it all dry out and was organizing stuff. And I got this weird WhatsApp message. uh, And I'm very suspicious. Anytime I get a message, I'm just like, I'll tell my wife. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Please check it out. Like, weird. Um, But it was from someone. They said they were looking for Lucas. I don't know if they were looking for you, Lucas, or what. But anyway, they said, oh, my secretary might have put this in wrong. And I'm like, no, it's not me. Put my phone down. She's like, oh, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm like, all good. Put my phone back down. She's like, well, and then she starts, like, talking about her business and whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Divine appointments. So I just picked it up, and I'm like, I am a pastor in Montreal. And here's what I tell people about. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just going to pretend that God is lining up this divine appointment. And it didn't go on for much longer. But I have no idea what, what's going to happen because of this, like, strange text message that I got and sent back out. And what I realized in that moment was I'm expectant. That God is making my heart expectant that I'm receiving WhatsApp messages from weird people that I'm like, maybe God would rescue them through this WhatsApp message. That's never happened with me before. Are we expectant that God is going to use our normal everyday conversations and relationships to bring understanding to people of who Jesus is, and not just understanding in words, but real power, that their lives would be changed, that people would be freed from addictions and from self-righteous pursuits and from pride and from ending with an awesome RRSP that's going to be amazing for their kids. Like, who cares about that, really? It's good, but it's not, it's not ultimate. And are we living our lives in such a way that it demands an explanation? Like, why do you do these things? Why, why do you care about these people in this way? And it's not from our words that we got in the conversation. It's because of how the people of God are living in our city, that we're living like we actually believe that Jesus shows up every single day with new power and he lines up appointments with people that need and want him. So here's here's our, our final thing is that my prayer this morning is that we would be filled with the Spirit of God and that we'd learn self-forgetfulness as our eyes are locked on him, that we'd be moving throughout the city saying they're more important than me, they're more important than me, they're more important than me and how do I minister to them? Not in this weird like I have no self-esteem type of way but in this way that I want to minister and care for people. I'm gonna stop just thinking about myself and caring about myself. Spirit, would you help me do that? So let me pray and then we'll respond. Let what you can't change die today and then don't live out of your own strength anymore. Jesus, you like to wreck things. You like to take things that have kept us captive for years and you like to destroy them because you know that's not going to bring us life. You're so good that you pursue us even when we're rebels of you and you you bring life to us. Thank you for that. I want to pray that as we hold out these, these little things that have captured our hearts and attentions and are leading us to destruction and death, Pray that you would you would kill them today. I pray for um, for sickness that people have that you would remove that. But that that these people would want it individually, that they would be asking you to remove that thing. I pray for addictions, people who are addicted to uh, to drugs, to to alcohol, to uh, any kind of substance, to um, to fear of of others, obsessions or things that, that really feel like they bind us, I pray that we would hold those out to you today and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Would you overcome these things? And thank you that even if you don't remove them today, that you're not going anywhere, that you're not despised with us, you're not disheartened with us, you're not embarrassed by us, or rather you love us and you're full of compassion for us. Jesus, we love you. Help us to respond. Help us not to just have this be a sermon, this, this little religious talk that we, we endure, but rather help this to have real power, not just words, but power that overcomes us and that we see real life change. We need you. Amen.